Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good evening. Before I get started, I would like to express my gratitude to the congregation for the time that we've spent here. You guys have been so generous and loving. You've been a great example of what the church is supposed to be. And my family and I appreciate you more than we could say. I also appreciate this opportunity, even though we're going to miss a great lesson from Brother Mike Hickson. I appreciate the opportunity to come up here and, and speak a little to you. Tonight I would like to speak to you about Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is one of the most famous psalms, one of the most famous passages in the scriptures. It has been called the Nightingale Psalm because of the beauty that the writer put into the words. I'm sure that there are many here who, back before God was kicked out of the schools, uh, memorized parts, if not the whole, of this psalm. The Psalm 23 has been chiseled into headstones. It has been read at countless funerals, including Ronald Reagan's funeral. It has been set into stained glass windows. It is very popular on greeting cards, sympathy cards. It has been embroidered on countless pillows and wall hangings. It has been set to several different tunes. I'm sure we have more than one hymn in our songbook that is based on Psalm 23. When I put Psalm 23 in the search engine on the computer, it came up with over 2 million hits showing the popularity of this psalm. It is as recognized or more recognized than such poems as Roses Are Red, Violets Are Blue. It is more recognizable than Shakespearean sonnets like Shall I Compare Thee to a Summer's Day? The writer of Psalm 23 is one of the greatest kings that uh, Israel knew, King David. It was most likely written near the end of his life. And as we know from studying David and his life, that he had a very violent and dramatic life. When he was a child, a small child, he was forced to uh, protect his sheep, and he had to kill a lion, he's had to kill a bear. When he was older, he faced Goliath. We all know the story of David and Goliath, when David slew that great giant. We also know from the study of his life the violent and dramatic times that he served under King Saul, the first king of Israel, and how often he had to flee for his life from King Saul. Also, after Saul was out of the picture, 
David had many children, and there was a lot of drama and violence with his children. And one of his children, Absalom, even sought to take David's life and take his kingdom. But throughout his violent and dramatic life, David clung to one thing. He clung to God. No matter where or what David went through, he kept God in the forefront of his mind, and he had faith in God. Psalm 23 is a metaphor. It's a metaphor of a shepherd and his sheep and the way that the Lord takes care of his people. The first two psalms shows how the shepherd and how God provides for his people. The third verse in the psalm shows, first of all, how God renews strength in his people, and it also shows how he guides his people along the right paths. The fourth, the fourth verse shows how he protects and comforts his people. Psalm 23 is a very personal psalm. It's very personal to David. Obviously, he wrote it. There are 17 personal pronouns in the six verses of the 23rd Psalm. And in these six verses, there are easily 15 different points that one can make. I will try to cover as many as possible, but I will not be like the Apostle Paul who preached on past midnight. I think I'll stop around midnight if I'm not done. First, the Lord is my shepherd shows the faith that David had in God. David said that he was his shepherd. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. What does the my imply in this verse? The my implies that he, the shepherd, God, looks after David. It also implies that uh, David was his the Lord was his shepherd and he was his. It shows that David belonged to him. God is responsible for David and provided for David. And in the same way, we can take this principle and this psalm can also be applied to us as Christians. He looks after us. We are his and God is responsible for us. He provides for us. David, although he spent much time away from his home and away from the temple and away from those that he loved, he knew that even in violent times that God was with him. He had faith in God. Jehovah God was his shepherd wherever David went, whatever happened in David's life. In the same way, we can know that God will care for us and will always protect us we can have faith that God will always be there for us. A shepherd provides for and guides all of his sheep. God will do the same for us as he did for David. God has provided spiritual care for us. We have God watching over us. No enemy can take us from God. There's an old illustration speaking of a husband and wife being in a vehicle together 
Nowadays we have bucket seats in vehicles, but the older cars, the front seat was one solid seat. And the husband, when they were newlyweds, would sit in the seat and drive his car, and his wife would sit in the middle right next to him, a lot of times leaning on the husband. And as time goes by, and as they get more comfortable with one another, she starts sliding across the seat to the other door. Well, in the same way, God is the husband, Jesus is the husband, and the wife is the church, and we are the church, we are the body. And after a time, the wife said to the husband, what happened? We used to be so close together. We used to be right next to each other. We were like this. What happened? And the husband, representing God, looked over to the wife and said, I haven't moved. I've stayed in the same spot. It's you who've moved away. The only ones that can separate us from God is ourselves. An enemy taking our life cannot separate us from God. Only if we allow them can we be separated from God. We can choose to walk away, but we cannot be forced away from God. He provides all of our needs, and Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, John 10, verse 11. And the church, the body of Christ, is his flock of sheep, John 10, 16. Jesus said, his sheep hear his voice and they follow him, John 10, 27. Sheep do not follow strangers, they'll only follow the shepherd. Christ is our shepherd. We need to ask ourselves, is God, is the Lord our shepherd? Do we allow Jesus to be our shepherd? I hope that the answer is yes. But if it is not yes, then I hope by the end of the night, you will choose to allow the Lord to be your shepherd. Moving on, the Lord is my shepherd. It also says, I shall not want. The I shall not want shows assurance. Perhaps in David's experience in his life, he's learned and he was convinced of the fact that he can have assurance in God. If you remember the story of David and Goliath, David went to visit his brothers and take some bread and a few other provisions to his three brothers that were fighting with Saul as they were fighting the Philistines. And when David was there visiting with his brothers, Goliath came down from the valley and cried out to the Israelites, mocking them, making fun of them, taunting them, saying, send somebody down here to fight me, and the winner gets all. If Goliath were to win, then the Israelites would be the slaves to the Philistines. If the Philistine were to win, then the Israelites would become slaves to the Philistines. David heard this, and he was kind of disgusted. Goliath had done this for about 40 days prior to this. Every day he'd come down and taunt the Israelites. And every day the Israelites cowered in fear. And David heard this, and he would not have any of it. He offered his services. He offered to Saul. He said, I'll go and fight the Philistine. Why was David so confident that he could fight this Philistine? 
It was because he was, he was assured. He knew that God was with him. David gave credit to God for his victory over the lion and over the bear. And in the same way, David went out to fight Goliath without armor, without sword. He had confidence and faith in God. He, he had assurance. He took with him five stones and one sling. A lot of people confuse the sling with like a slingshot. They think David went out there like Dennis the Menace with little pebbles and a little slingshot. But the five stones that David carried out with him were river stones about the size of a baseball. And a sling was this big piece of leather with some leather uh, threads on it that you would swing over your head and release to throw the stone. When he released the stone, it went into Goliath's head, knocking him unconscious. And then David went and he took... I'd like to point out that in this story, well, in this fact, uh, he took five stones with him, but he only needed one. He killed Goliath. He knocked Goliath out with the first rock. And then he went to Goliath as he was laying unconscious and took Goliath's own sword and removed Goliath's head. Now David was not a full-grown man yet. He was a youth. He was young. He could not even properly fit the armor that was given to him. He went out there, a young man, probably the same age as some of our youth here, and killed a giant because he had confidence. He had assurance in God. And he knew that God would take care of him. In the same way, we can have that assurance. Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. As Christians today, we can have confidence and we can be assured that if we knock, the door will be opened. If we seek, we will find, and if we ask, it will be given. God will not forsake us, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Also, if we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. 2 Corinthians not chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. But this I say, he who spares sowingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give us Give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God.
If we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. And Olive Branch is a great example of that. Olive Branch Church of Christ is a very generous and loving congregation. When we first started coming here in January of 2007, you could see that we, the numbers were around 100, and we were barely making budget. But with the grace of God and the, the wonderful works that Olive Branch has done, you can see that we had 165 in attendance this morning, and we have plenty in the budget to help with those who help with what we need that money for. And that is because God has blessed us because of our generosity and the generosity of the elders. Those who serve the Lord acceptably in Christ are abundantly blessed, Ephesians 1.3. The Lord is my shepherd is showing faith. I shall not want is showing assurance. Now faith is a substance or assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, Hebrew 10.22. Moving on, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures, shows contentment, and shows how David was content. Sheep cannot lie down unless they have four things in their lives. They must be content, first of all. And in order to be content, they need these four things. First of all, a sheep cannot lie down unless they are free from all cares. They have to not be worried about predators, things that could take their life or things that can destroy what they know and their safety. A sheep cannot lie down unless they are free from friction from the other sheep. They cannot have any, I don't know, aggressions toward each other. They can't be mad at each other. In the same way, Christians should not lie down unless, we should not be content unless we in the congregation are free from friction from other members. If we have problems with other members, we need to take care of those. Otherwise, we cannot truly be content. We have to be free from all fear, free from those who can come and destroy our congregation, also, a sheep cannot lie down unless they are not tormented by flies, ticks, or other parasites. And in the same way, the church cannot truly be content and cannot truly be relaxed unless we are free from false doctrines that are trying to come in and destroy the truth and destroy what we have. Also, a sheep cannot lie down unless it is fully fed. It cannot be hungry. And in the same way, we should not be content unless we are feeding ourselves daily with the Word of God by study and obeying the Word. We as Christians ought to be satisfied in the Lord, but godliness with contentment is great gain, 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. If we are not content, if we are not satisfied with what God has given us, then that leads to greater to sin. It leads to things such as covetousness, Covetousness it leads to envy and jealousy and strife. Also, are their natural results of not being content. We need to be content and satisfied with what God gives us, because He does give us plenty. 
Surely we could learn from Paul's experience on how to be content. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to learn from Paul and learn to be content with what God gives us. But don't make the mistake to think that being content is being okay with false doctrine or compromise. We're not to be content with that. He leadeth me beside the still waters, shows peace. Restless and troubled waters are very dangerous. Sheep will not drink from troubled waters. They will only drink from still waters. They're very fearful when it comes to things that they're not, that they do not know. They're very fearful of running water, choppy water. But notice in this verse, the the, when it says, He leadeth me beside the still waters. The is showing that there is only one still water. There are not many places that hold still water, but only one. And in the same way, there's not many churches that have peace. God only gives peace to the one church, the body of Christ, and there is only one. There's not many ways of peace. There are not many bodies. There is only one. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace that is spoken of in Isaiah 9.6. Those who follow the Lord, who follow Jesus, are peacemakers, Matthew 5, verse 9. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, 1-4. is something all Christians must do. However, we must remember to never compromise. We must put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6.10, we must fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6.12. We must realize that life is a spiritual battle. If you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, you will read, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing everything, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. As Christians, we are in a spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare, and we must remember that every day that we walk outside of our houses, out of our homes, that we are in the middle of a battlefield, and we need to take that battle, we need to be prepared we need to know the word, we need to study the word so that when that opportunity comes where we can present that word to somebody, we will have the proper things and the right things to say to lead people to Christ. We must contend earnestly for the faith. Jude, verse 3. He restoreth my soul. 
represents or shows life. When the spirit departs our bodies, we die, for the body without the spirit is dead. James 2.26 To restore the soul implies that there would be life again. We can take this a couple of different ways. A couple di there's a principle that can be expressed in a few different ways. First, when we feel defeated, when we're having troubles in life, we can know that God can recharge our spiritual batteries. God will see us through, spirit, through hard times, through difficult times. Job once asked, if a man dies, shall he live again? Job 14, 14. Well, the answer is pretty obvious. If a man die, he will live again. This is why David was not afraid to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is why he ate instead of fasting when his son died in 2 Samuel 12, 23 and 23, or 22 and 23. It reads, well, first of all, for a little background, uh, we all know the story of David and Bathsheba and how David committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba and she became pregnant. And in order to cover up this pregnancy, David did a lot of things that were immoral and improper. First, he tried to deceive Bathsheba's husband into thinking that it was uh, his child, but when he refused to lay with his wife because his comrades were in battle, David sent him back to the battlefield and put him in a position where he would definitely be killed. So indirectly, David murdered Bathsheba's husband. And as a result, David had to pay a price. Uh, the price back then was death. But God, because David showed repentance, he told David, he said, I will spare your life, but the life of the child that Bathsheba was carrying, it will end. And while this baby, this baby was born, and as it lay sick and dying, David mourned the child, and he prayed constantly, begging God, hoping that God would change his mind and allow the baby to live. But when the baby finally passed away, David heard about it, heard that the baby passed away, and David immediately stopped mourning. He got up, and he ate. And many people were kind of surprised by this because David had been mourning so hard, crying. He'd just been miserable through this whole illness until the baby died. When they questioned him about it, David said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? He then said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. The child will not have an earthly life, but he knew, David knew that when David passed away, he would see that child again in paradise. Because although we die physically, we will live. And that brought a lot of comfort to David when his baby child died. 
In the same way, we can be comforted when we have similar things. We've had a lot of death in the congregation lately. But because we are Christians and those who have passed on are Christians, we don't need to mourn. We can eat and we can be happy because we know that they live and we'll see them again. What a promise of life. What hope and assurance and faith and confidence David had when he said, He restoreth my soul. I'll not cover the rest of them for the sake of time, but I would like to go on and uh, notice the last verse when it says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Though David faced many uh, difficulties in his life, and although we may face many difficulties in our lives, we can know as Christians that we have immortality. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David understood that following the Lord provided blessings, provided blessings here on earth for him. He was obviously king, very wealthy man. But it would also provide blessings for him in eternity. The same way it will provide blessings for us in eternity if we obey God and follow the teachings of Christ. Following the Lord gives eternal life with him in heaven. We need to ask ourselves, can we speak with the faith and with the conviction and with the confidence and with the assurance that David spoke with? If we're Christians, we can. We can only speak with, with the faith and conviction and confidence and assurance of David if we are if we allow the Lord to be our shepherd. If you've not had him as your shepherd, then right now is a great opportunity, a great time to accept the Lord as your shepherd and to follow him and to let him lead you in your life. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want him to be your shepherd, you do it by obeying the gospel. You have to hear the word of God and you have to believe. And with hearing comes faith. If you repent, change your ways, turn your ways from the wicked ways and onto righteous ways, you can have the Lord as your shepherd. If you confess Christ before men, then you can have the Lord as your shepherd. If you're baptized, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then you can have the Lord as your shepherd. If you continue to live faithfully after you're baptized, then you can have the Lord as your shepherd. If you want to take the Lord as your shepherd, or if you need the prayers of the congregation, then this is the time to come forward as we stand and sing.